we come this morning to hear God's holy word, and as we prepare to listen, let's bow and let's ask the Lord to work in us once more. Lord, we thank you for the gift it is to be able to gather as Christians, to have the freedom, and to be able to meet safely here this morning to hear your word. And Lord, we ask that you would use this gift you've given us to draw us closer to you, to strengthen our faith this morning, that we would grow in our confidence in you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, faith is a a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Those are the words of Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer who preached the role of faith in our justification before a holy God. Faith is confidence in God's grace. Have you thought about faith like that? It's confidence in God's grace. And it's a confidence that does something in us. It's a confidence that produces courage in us. So if you want to be encouraged, if you want to be with courage this morning, it requires a confidence in the grace of God. It gives us courage in the decisions that we face and the decisions that we need to make. It's a confidence that that brings generosity into our lives. That we understand that all that we have, we've received. And that we use those resources in a way that honors God. It's a confidence that we can stake all of our lives upon. It's a confidence that affects every aspect and area of our lives. Well, as we've picked back up in Genesis 12, we've noted that the Bible often describes faith, not with definitions or even phrases like what we heard here from Martin Luther. We do find that in Scripture, but most of what we find about a life of faith is given to us through living illustrations of people of God, Old Testament and New, those who walked by faith. So the greatest illustrations, maybe you've heard some great sermon illustrations about faith. Those can be helpful, but I would maintain this morning the best illustrations we have about faith are given to us in the lives of men and women that we see in the Scriptures who had confidence in God, took Him at His word, and by God's grace walked in obedience. Today's passage in Genesis, we see a a contrast of walking by faith and walking by sight. You may have picked up on that theme this morning, even in our scripture reading. We look at the lives of Abram and the the life of his nephew Lot, and they serve as living illustrations of one who had faith and one who walked by sight. Abram, we see that he had faith. We saw last week he had flaws, yet by God's grace he pressed on in faith staking his life upon this daring confidence in God's grace. Well, today we're in chapter 13. This traces Abram's journey back to the land of Canaan, back to the promised land, back to worship. And just as he gets there, he faces another test. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. The best way to stay engaged this morning in the sermon is to open up your copy of God's Word. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we've got Bibles right in front of you. Take that Bible, uh, open up to Genesis 13. That's on page 9, page 9 in your Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible with you. That's our gift to you. We've got plenty more uh, in the office. We'll restock every Monday morning. So take that with you and connect with someone here who'd love to read the Bible with you to talk more about God's Word. Genesis 13, let me read through all of this passage as we begin our time together. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, 
And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. We saw last week how the Bible gives us a realistic picture of what faith looks like. And so while Abram is commended in both the Old Testament and the New Testament as a model of faith, as a man of faith, we also saw his flaws. We saw decisions that were born out of fear that led to a massive failure at the end of chapter 12. Yet by God's grace and because of his faithfulness to his promise, Abram's story continued on. God preserved Abram and his wife Sarah as, as his people. So what we see at the end of chapter 12, really from the beginning of chapter 12 to here in chapter 13, is kind of like a sandwich. We've got faith on both ends. Beginning of chapter 12, Abram believed God, followed him to a land he had not yet seen. Chapter 13, Abram believed God, walking by faith. In between at the end of chapter 12, fear, failure. So as Christians, I think we can relate to that. That we walk in, in faith and obedience to God. If you don't walk in obedience to God, again, I don't know what you mean when you say you're a Christian. Christians, by God's grace, walk by faith and obedience to God. Yet we will have moments, far too many moments, where we struggle with fear. Moments of failure. Moments of selfish living and selfish behavior. Just like one of our elders, Austin Suter, led us in a prayer of confession this morning. We confess that we are regularly in need of God's mercy and grace. We confess that far too often we find ourselves walking in a lack of faith. Yet Christians are those who by God's grace keep on repenting. 
Keep on trusting. We've been given the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. All of us. There are no second-class Christians. All of us who've shared in this prize of Christ have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and therefore there is preservation by God, perseverance in our lives. We keep on repenting. We keep on believing, preserved by God's faithfulness to persevere in this journey as we await the promised land. What I want us to see in this story, this living illustration of faith in chapter 13 this morning, are three ways that God sustains his people. So I outline this morning three ways that God sustains his people. Let's consider this first way, if you're taking notes, and it's in verses 1 through 4, the first way that God sustains his people, in verses 1 through 4, God renews his people for worship. The first way that God sustains his people, God renews his people for worship. Well, thanks to the Lord's powerful action to free Sarai from Pharaoh, Abram, and his family, they left Egypt, and they went back up to the land of Canaan, back to where the Lord had led them previously. And we see that in verse 2, by God's grace, Abram was very wealthy. He was very rich in livestock, rich in silver and in gold. He, He walked out of Egypt able to keep all of the possessions that Pharaoh had given him. Even though Abram had failed to trust the Lord there in Egypt, he had failed to trust the Lord in the famine and walked in fear and went down to Egypt, God still blessed him. He hadn't fallen out of favor with God. You see, our God is gracious, and we see that in the life of of Abram. And notice in verses 3 and 4 where it is that Abram returned. We see he returned to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. So Abram returned right back to where he was when he first followed the Lord. Now, if you remember back in chapter 12, verse 8, we read that this spot is where Abram had previously first called upon the name of the Lord. So so Abram was, was retracing his steps from his journey in chapter 12, wandered off in fear, wandered off in disobedience to God, and here he is retracing by God's grace. It's it's a sign of repentance, really, making his way back and returning to the place of worship. Look back at chapter 12, verse 8. You see there that Abram previously traveled from this spot with with Bethel on the west and and Ai on the east, and then in verse 9, journeyed toward the Negev. And here in chapter 13, verse 3, we see Abram was retracing those steps, moving back from the Negev to the place he had been between Bethel and Ai. The picture here, this was a fresh start. It was a restart, a a new beginning at the place where he had first begun to worship God. Now, Abram didn't need to build an altar there. He'd already built one there. And once again, he worshiped God at that altar, calling upon the name of the Lord. God had preserved Abram and Sarai. He returned them to the land, and their return to the land marked a return to worshiping God. This was a fresh start, renewed to worship the Lord. Again, back in the end of chapter 12, Abram had failed to walk by faith in the famine. But by God's grace and God's faithfulness to his promise, 
God restored the situation. He rescued Sarah from Pharaoh's household and returned them to the land. God was faithful to pick them up, to turn them around, and to lead them back to worship. This was a fresh start, a chance to renew faith, a chance to renew worship, a chance to renew obedience to God's word, the very place that he first worshiped God. Brothers and sisters, God does not turn away from his people. God is faithful. He will not forsake his people. We may fail. We may sin against the Lord. That is wrong. And we should feel convicted of that. And we should repent and be sorry over that. We should not take the grace of the Lord for granted in that way. Rather, those who know the grace of God continue to repent. But we should be sure of this. God renews us for worship. He does not turn away from his people. And God's people do not turn away from him. We may fail, we may sin, but by God's grace, we repent. Our lives as Christians should be marked by ongoing repentance. You've probably heard me say this before, but the mark of maturity in the life of a Christian is not repenting less as if, oh, all of a sudden we've got things figured out. We're just repenting less and less. And I wonder what things will be like by the time I reach 90. Probably won't have to repent but once a month. Well, no, that's not true Christianity. True Christianity is we repent more. We become more sensitive to God's sin in our life. We become less tolerant of disobedience to God in our lives. We, we become quicker to repent, and our lives are characterized by this repentance. We're filled with the Holy Spirit by God's grace and by His power. We are sustained until we reach heaven or until Christ comes, which hopefully happens first. Well, this return to the land was a step of repentance, of being restored, and returning to worship. I wonder this morning, though, what sin, what failure you need to turn away from in order to return to worship. Friends, this isn't just coming to, to warm up a pew this morning. That's not what this gathering is about. This gathering is meant to bring us closer to God. It's a gathering where the Lord draws near to us. And if we've not been sensitive to God's to, call, to God's calling to repent in our lives all week, this is a moment every Sunday morning to turn and to repent and to ask God, like we did in our prayer of confession, forgive us of our sins, renew our faith, renew our obedience this morning. I wonder what failure you need to turn away from this morning in order to return to worship. What do you need to stop looking at on your phone this week? What sin are you giving yourself over to time and it doesn't have to continue on. Talk to someone who's seen victory in their life by God's grace. Holiness is possible, by the way. We understand we'll struggle with sin, but the other thing true about a Christian is that we should be growing in holiness. We, we should be seeing victory over sin in our lives. So while we expect that we will confess sin regularly, we should also expect that the normal Christian life is a life of growing in holiness, growing in obedience to God. What sin in your life do you need to confess to God and turn over to Him this morning? What promise do you need to claim here in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? In other words, what John is saying is that God regularly gives His people fresh starts. And that's good news this morning. Well, have you ever thought about our corporate worship on Sunday mornings, on Lord's Day worship, 
as a fresh start. I know it's the first day of the week, but that's not why we meet on Sunday, just because it seems like a good day of the week to meet on. We meet on Sunday because Sunday morning is the day that Jesus got up from the dead. We, we understand this morning, most importantly, this assembly commanded in the Bible that's normative in the Christian life is centered around the risen and reigning Lord Jesus. And as we gather each Sunday, we confess our hope is in Him. And it marks, I understand every Sunday, a fresh start together. The failures of the past week behind us, a chance to confess our sins to the Lord, a chance to renew our faith, a chance to renew worship, a chance to renew obedience that we might walk more closely with God, that we might remember His faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ, His love for us in sending Jesus to die and to pay for our sin and to be reminded of the hope that we share in our risen Savior as we look forward to His return. Each Sunday morning, God's faithfulness is seen as he delivers us back to worship. Whatever your week was like this past week, you might come in here saying last week was a good week, and praise God for that. You can thank him for that and ask that that would continue. But all of us, what we share, God's brought us back here to worship this morning. His faithfulness causes us to persevere in worship. And until that day that he finally delivers us to be at home with him, where our worship will be unending, where congregations will ne'er break up and Sabbaths will have no end, God is faithful to keep leading us back to the place of worship. You see, we trust in Jesus Christ, the one who, who promised that those who belong to him will never perish. We have what Abram looked forward to. The day that Abram longed to see happen has already happened. We look back on the cross and on the empty tomb, and therefore we have hope this morning in Jesus Christ, the name above all names, that we will be preserved and kept until the end. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Our hope is in Christ that our life in Jesus will continue to be a life of being renewed as worshipers of the one true God. And like Abram retraced his steps to the promised land for worship, you and I need to look back and, and retrace our steps. How often... Do you look back and consider God's faithfulness to you? It's a good exercise. I promise you, good fruit will come out of that. How often do you do it? Do we do it just once a week? I mean, prayers of thanksgiving are just regular prayers that help draw our minds to God's provision for us. You see, you and I are so prone to live in the present, to be anxious about the future, to, to look at the, towards the future in, in fear as if God's not going to provide for us. And God gives us the gift of thanksgiving, that we can look back and be reminded, God, have you ever not provided what we've needed? Of course you have. You've always been there. Well, how can you retrace your steps this week? Look back. That's what a testimony is. Certainly a testimony is about your salvation. So look back to your conversion. Look back to the circumstances in your life that God so graciously brought the gospel to you opened up your heart to believe the good news of Jesus. Look back to the testimony of conversion in your life. And then just keep looking back. The testimony of Christian growth, 
of sanctification. How has God nourished and strengthened you spiritually? Certainly look at the material blessings that he's provided. Look at the ways he's blessed you in your life. But then keep looking back. Keep looking back all the way to the cross and to the empty tomb. And look at God's provision in Jesus. God makes promises and he keeps them. And we see that most clearly in the provision of his son, Jesus, who bled and died for us. Brothers and sisters, we are renewed in worship as we look back on God's grace and then look forward in these regular, fresh starts that we need for worship. Well, in verses 5 through 13, we see a second way that God sustains his people. God restores his people to walk by faith. A second way God sustains his people, God restores his people to walk by faith. In verses 5 through 7, we see just how wealthy Abram and his family had become. But we also see a living picture of more money, more problems. We read in verse 6 that they had such great wealth that Abram and Lot couldn't both dwell in the land. We also get the detail at the end of verse 7 that the land was occupied by two other groups, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Again, the Canaanites were those who were enemies to God, cursed of the lineage of Noah's son, Ham. There simply wasn't enough room in the land for all of these people and their flocks and their cattle. And the problem that arose in verse 7 was strife between Abram and Lot's herdsmen. So they were family members starting to fight against one or fight with one another. And this strife likely was over water. How could they water all of their flocks? How could they water all of their cattle? Remember, they were just coming out of severe famine. Likely they were anxious about this and there were challenges with that. So this conflict, it set the stage for another testing of Abram's faith. So Abram's fresh start came with a fresh test. You know, this side of glory, we will regularly face trials in our faith. In James chapter 1, we understand we will face trials of various kinds. Sometimes a number of trials happen at the same time. Sometimes we face a trial and we think, wow, we're just coming to the end of it, and here comes another trial. Doesn't that feel like what it's like in our country right now? As if it weren't enough for our hospitals to be overloaded, even locally here with Delta virus, uh, we had the deadliest week of our servicemen and women being killed in over a decade. Right now, as we meet, our brothers and sisters in Louisiana are not meeting. They've been evacuated as a Category 4 hurricane is making landfall right now as we meet. We're in a time where we're seeing in our nation trial after trial after trial. And these are difficult. We don't rejoice in the trials. We certainly don't look forward to trials. We rejoice in God, that God reigns sovereign over every one of them, that our trials are not without purpose, and that God often uses these trials as a platform to display his power and his faithfulness to his people. Well, here's Abram. He came out of the trial with the famine. And here's a fresh trial, a fight in his family. Now, Abram failed the test in chapter 12 with severe famine hitting the land. The Lord led him through that test. Here comes another one. But here in chapter 13, things were different. Abram was just renewed in worship. And now he's prepared to face this test in faith. We see in verse 8 that Abram took the first step. He, he wanted peace. And he appealed to he and Lot being kinsmen, saying, let there be no strife. Hey, hey we're, we're family. And as we read together this morning in Psalms 133, 1, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
In verse 9, we see Abram take a step for faith and unity. Now, Abram was more powerful than Lot. Lot got rich off Abram. Uh, Abram was the one the Lord was leading. The Lord appeared to Abram, spoke to Abram, was leading him. Abram was the one who received the promises from God, but Abram doesn't appeal to those things in that moment. Rather, he uses the moment to work for peace, and he approached the situation in faith. Now, God had already promised to Abram in chapter 12, verse 7, I will give you this land. It was sure. It was a promise that God made. There was no condition given in chapter 12. Well, if you do this, I'll give you this land. That's not what we saw in chapter 12. It was just simply, I will give you this land. And in this test, Abram didn't fear. He trusted God's word. And he took the initiative to let Lot have first choice of the land. And so in verse 9, he, he let Lot have the first pick, saying, Is this not, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. It took courage to make an offer like that. It took believing that even if the best land, so to speak, or seemingly, went to Lot in that moment, God would eventually give it to Abram and to his descendants. So Abram's response here stands in stark contrast to the restlessness with the prior test that he went through of the famine. Now previously, he was restless when tested, got up, moved to Egypt, scheming there in order to survive a trial, and he ended up in a mess. But here in chapter 13, he seems to have learned to wait on God. He was trusting God, clinging to God's promise, walking by faith, and therefore able to rest in that moment and offer up that land. Have you, have you thought about faith like that? When we walk by faith, we are resting in God's promises. A psalm that has really ministered to me recently, I love it, short psalm, Psalm 131. I love the picture that's given in Psalm 131. It's a picture used there of a weaned child to describe what it's like to rest in God and to trust in Him. Psalm 131 reads this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Especially if you're a dude to hear this morning, you might not get that and understand, what does this mean? What is this illustration? How does this hit? Well, a weaned child is simply content with the presence of their mother. Simply content to be in the presence of them. Not fidgety and restless and worrying about getting the next meal, but content, calm, quiet, enjoying the presence of their mother. Well, a believer is content with God's presence, especially in difficult circumstances that we understand are outside of our control, that we won't have an answer for, that we can't fix or solve or intellectually get our minds around, especially in those moments a believer is content simply with the presence of God. Brother and sister, pray for a quiet and trusting spirit this week that rests in the Lord's promises. Inevitably, when we find ourselves in that moment where we're restless and striving and trying to secure a future for ourselves, it's the very moment we can turn and ask God, quiet our soul, calm our soul down, give us the rest and the trust that's found only in you and in your promises. Well, consider how this trust, this trust and this rest in God's 
uh, and God and his goodness, how it produces good fruit in our lives. Abram's faith, it produced courage and generosity there in that moment. And isn't that how it works in our lives as Christians? As we grow in our faith, we will see our, our generosity growing. We have confidence to be generous with our money, with our time. As we grow in our faith, we have the confidence to serve others. We're prepared to put the needs and the interests of others ahead of ourselves. It's not take care of myself first and then with the scraps I'll take care of others. Rather, how can I give and serve to others? I trust that God will provide all that I need. Well, Abram acted by faith, but with Lot we see the opposite. Lot was living by sight. Uh, The first words there, verse 10, they give us this picture of Lot walking by sight. Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. This detail of lifting up eyes, I think what that's doing there, it's revealing the motivation behind Lot's decision. His choice of land was motivated by sight. He was in a position evidently to look around the land, he was on a high spot, able to see it all, and he looked down on the Jordan Valley, he saw fertile land. Now remember, he had just come out of a famine, and here was well-watered, green, lush land. This land looked so good, it was even compared to the Garden in Eden. And speaking of the Garden in Eden, all of us talk about the land being pleasing to his sight and to his eyes. That sounds a lot like what we heard about Eve in the Garden of Eden when she was being tempted. She saw the forbidden fruit in the garden. It looked good by sight. It was pleasing to the sight. It was to be desired by sight. It would take faith to not eat. It would take faith to turn away, to obey God's word. Yet by sight, she was deceived. She took and she ate. She gave to her husband and he ate. And a mess came into the world through all of that teaching us that walking by sight time and time again in the scriptures is shown to be a dangerous way to live. You see, Lot saw what looked pleasing to the eyes in verse 11, and we read, so Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley. He chose what appeared to be the best land. He could have split that part with Abram. He could have had a share in the promised land with Abram, but rather he chose for himself, and he journeyed east. Now, if that phrase, journey to east, sounds familiar to you, it's because we've seen that, that eastward travel in the book of Genesis is traveling away from the presence of God. Which direction did Adam and Eve travel when they were banished out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin? East. Their son, Cain, when he murdered his brother, Abel, he was driven further which direction? East, away from the presence of the Lord. We see here that Lot traveled east. It's a picture of him departing and leaving blessing, leaving the presence of the Lord. Lot's here is setting up his tent in Sodom, which gives us a clue, walking away from the blessing, heading to an evil place. He was traveling away from blessing to live in Sodom, which was noted to be a place of great sinners, not just sinners against the Lord, great sinners, great wickedness. He chose to leave God's blessing and he settled in a land that God would eventually destroy because of how evil it was. You see Moses actually referencing the destruction there in the parentheses in verse 10. And again mentioning the wickedness of the people of Sodom in verse 13. That highlights Lot's 
folly and as evil in walking by sight. Walking by sight led Lot to a wicked place. Walking by sight led Lot away from blessing. Walking by sight led Lot away from the presence of God. And walking by sight will lead you and me away from God's presence. Brothers and sisters, I wonder how often you find yourself trusting primarily what your eyes can see. Well, consider how how trusting in what you can see gets in the way of living by faith. You see, the desires of the eyes, they look around and they will cling to inevitably. Our hearts will cling through our eyes to the promises of this present world. And the danger here is that we won't follow God if our eyes are locked in on the world. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. If we want to walk by faith, we need to guard our eyes and we need to open our ears to hear from God's word. Guard your eyes, open your ears to hear from God and his word. Faith comes by hearing. Well, I wonder this, it's a question I, I've recently been confronted with, which is a helpful exercise. Do you come to the Bible to hear from God? I read that in a book recently and asked that question. Helpful question to ask yourself. Do you come to the Bible to hear from God? Again, a wonderful idea to have a plan, a quiet time, have a routine, highly recommend that. But it needs to be more than just checking off a routine we've done during the day. We should remember in that moment, when we come before God and His Word, we come to hear from God. God still speaks today, meaning He speaks to us through the power of His Holy Spirit in accordance with the Bible. Do you come to church to hear from God? Well, Christian, you should. Listening to the Bible is more than an intellectual exercise. It's for the purpose of worship. It's to know God and who He is in Jesus Christ. Coming to the Bible is to draw near to the Lord that we might hear Him and might more deeply worship Him and serve Him. And hearing from God's Word lifts your eyes away from the promises of this present world. So if you want to guard your eyes this week and have your eyes lifted away from the promises of the world, come and hear God's Word. If that doesn't motivate us to be in God's Word regularly, I don't know what will. The living God will speak to us through His Word. And we live in a country with an embarrassment of riches. So many good translations. And you say, which one's a good translation? Is ESV the best? ESV is great. But taking my Greek and Hebrew classes taught me, we have so many good English translations. Whatever you have, the copies of God's Word that you have at home, that believers past long to have treasures like that, that believers present in different parts of the world would long to have treasures like that. We have it on our phones. We have so much possession of God's Word. Let's take it. Let's open it up. And by faith, let's trust God to speak through His Word to change us and to draw near to us. If we want our eyes lifted away from this present world, let's come and hear the Word of the Lord. Well, as God's people, may we continually turn away from walking by sight and rather walk according to what we hear from God in His Word. Finally, in verses 14 through 18, we see a third way that God sustains His people. This third way, God reminds His people of His faithfulness. God reminds His people of His faithfulness. 
Abram had acted in faith, and then the Lord spoke in verse 14. And when the Lord spoke, he confirmed the promises he had already made to Abram back in chapter 12. You see, Lot looked around with his eyes. He picked what seemed to be the best land. And notice the first thing that the Lord told Abram in verse 14 had to deal with his eyes. Lift up your eyes is what the Lord told Abram. Now, Abram chose blindly. By faith, he let Lot have his first pick of the land. Abram walked by faith, and the Lord blessed him to look up and to see. Look at verse 14. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. God was inviting Abraham there to see the unseen. The Lord was bringing him assurance, a reminder, by confirming promises that God had already made. Now, the word of the Lord came to Abram as assurance of God's faithfulness to his promise. That's what's happening here. He's reminding Abraham, and he's giving him assurance according to the promises of his word. Well, consider how important it is in our lives as Christians to regularly receive assurance from God's word. This morning, after the prayer of confession, a scriptural assurance of pardon was given, assuring that everyone in this room who has repented of their sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. God remembers them no more. You can count on that. There is so much in life that you cannot count on. We have been reminded of that so often in this season. You can count on this, though. Your sins have been forgiven, Christian. You stand before a holy God with a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, his name is Jesus. I can take that to the bank. I can count on that, and I'm in regular need of assurance that God has kept his promises in his son, Jesus. You know, we hear assurance each week as we sing. We're assuring one another that Christ is the sure and steady anchor. You don't get any assurance in those hymns that our trials are just going to go away. You get assurance that Christ is with us in all of them. And what a gift it is to sing to one another and to assure each other. When you hear God's word read publicly, when we read it together like we did in the Psalms this morning, when you hear God's word preached, something happens. What happens in the life of a believer? You are reminded of the truth of God's word, and the blessing is we receive assurance. God is faithful. God is true to his word. We can count on him how quick we are to forget, and we are in need of regular reminders. The second Sunday of every month, we come to the Lord's table and take the Lord's Supper. It is a regular reminder and assurance that the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, and his body given for us is sufficient and has washed away our sins. You see, our Sunday gatherings as Christians are full of assurance of God's faithfulness. That's why the writer of Hebrews, he connected the encouragement of our faith and our meeting together as Christians. He put them together. He says that if you want encouragement, as we see the day drawing near, don't neglect meeting together. In Hebrews 10, the immediate application to not wavering in our confession of faith is to stir one another up by meeting together. Listen to Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, we need assurance. We need to be strengthened in our faith. And praise God, that comes through meeting together as the people of God on the Lord's Day. God is just so gracious to remind us Sunday after Sunday of His faithfulness to work in us Sunday after Sunday and to produce in us a desire to obey Him and to take Him at His word. God is gracious to work. May we be faithful to not neglect meeting together. God gave assurance to Abram when he was without child. He was without any land. And right after Abram had given away what seemed to be the best part of the land. That's when God gave assurance. And once again, God delivered promises in the form of these familiar I will declarations. Now the promises here in chapter 13, they're still the same. But they're delivered here with an even greater level of detail than what we saw in chapter 12. So in chapter 12, verse 7, God promised land to Abram's offspring. Here in chapter 13, verse 15, God specifies all the land that you see. And then the Lord adds the detail, I will give it not just to your offspring, but to you. And the word forever is added. Just a, a deeper assurance, not a new promise. Deeper level of specificity providing assurance to Abram. The Lord assured Abram of the promise of land. And then in verse 16, the Lord assured Abram of the promise of descendants. Back in chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord had promised to make Abram a great nation. That sounds awesome. It's a great, great promise he could build his life on. But here in chapter 13, verse 16, more details were given of just how great of a nation Abram's descendants would become. There will be so many, you can't possibly count them. And again, he's standing there without child, with a wife who's barren in that moment. Verse 16 reads, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Trying to count Abram's descendants would be like going to the beach and trying to count every grain of sand. It's just not possible. Abram stood there again and was assured by the word of the Lord in a difficult spot that God would be faithful to his promise to bring descendants beyond what he could imagine. And God, in his kindness, he gave Abram a visual in that moment. As he traveled the land, there was dust on the ground. He could look at that dust on the ground and be reminded of God's promise continually as he traveled. Well, as great as Abram's descendants eventually became in the nation of Israel, his descendants would grow far beyond that land and number amongst all nations. This promise would certainly be fulfilled through his son Isaac and then in the nation of Israel. Yet the promise made long ago of these descendants that would not be able to be counted would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in the church. What that means this morning, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of those specks of dust that God promised to Abram. That's us. We don't live in the land of Israel. Most of us in this room would be counted amongst the Gentiles. We are the uttermost parts of the earth. The presence of a local church here right now is evidence of God's faithfulness and the power and the expanse of the gospel. Those who put their faith in Christ and have been born again of Him, we are children of this promise. And if that assurance wasn't enough, 
one final assurance in this chapter in verse 17. The Lord commanded Abram, walk through the length and breadth of the land. Now, the walking through the land, it's symbolic of legally acquiring the land. So kind of like you do a walkthrough of a home during closing, before you close, that's what this was. It was like a, a walking through of the land, God promising, saying, this belongs to you, walk through it. Take a look. Be reminded this is coming to you and to your descendants forever. God was assuring Abram, it's yours because I will give it to you. While Abram was promised the land, he'd have to wait. He'd have to wait for God to fulfill that promise. And look at what he did while he waited. He worshiped. The chapter ends the way it began. Worship. In verse 18, Abram once again built an altar, and he worshiped the Lord. After lifting up his eyes to see the land, he lifted up his heart to worship God. You see, walking by faith is a life of worship, and it's a life of waiting. A life of waiting for God to fulfill his promises. It's a life of trusting that one day our faith will become sight. One day we will receive all that faith clings to. Faith is for this life. It's not forever because one day we will have received what we're trusting in presently. And until that final day, until that day that we see him face to face, we're called to live by faith, to be a people of worship, and to wait with expectation for God's promises to be fulfilled. So brother and sister, are you walking by faith? I'm asking this to a Christian right now. If you're, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want you to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to put your faith in him. Come talk to one of us today. You don't need to leave today without repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. You need to be forgiven of your sins, and Jesus is the only way. We'd love to talk with you more about that. But I'm speaking right now to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Are you walking by faith? I, I wonder what it would look like this week for us to walk less by sight, and to walk more by faith. True faith, it certainly seeks the glory of God. True faith, it makes decisions in line with God's word. As I mentioned earlier, we can't make decisions in line with God's word if we don't know his word. If we're not reading God's word, we shouldn't expect we're going to make decisions in line with his word and bring him glory. True faith is willing to wait for God to provide. It's hard to wait when you're not being assured of God's promises from his word. I wonder what it would look like in our lives to encourage one another, to pray for our own souls and to encourage one another to walk by faith. And maybe it just starts with this, a simple prayer request. Ask the Lord to grow you in your faith this week. That might be the most important thing you pray for your soul and for the souls of other church members this week. Lord, grow me in my faith. Strengthen my faith. Remind me of your promises. Encourage my faith this week. Assure me of your faithfulness. It may be the most important thing you could pray today and tomorrow. Let's go ahead and do that now as we close in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be so gracious as to strengthen us in our faith. Lord, we don't want to leave here unchanged. Lord, we ask that you would take this, this word of truth this morning, deposit it deep within us, and bring fruit from it for your glory. And yet we know at the same time, Lord, that this week there will be tests and trials and temptations, and may you use all of those 
that draw us closer to you. And like Abram, one who failed, and we see his flaws so clearly, yet by your grace was sustained to continue to walk by faith. May we trust you to sustain us this week. Lord, we ask you to renew us for worship this week. We ask you to restore us, to restore us to walk by faith. And Lord, we ask for your grace. Remind us of your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. May you remind us of that regularly this week and strengthen us in our faith, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.